reading this morning from Luke 24, verses 36 through 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Amen. Well, blessed Easter. How many of you braved our special rain rise service this morning? Some of you, I know there were some of you were there. Good job, who actually were there. I have six granddaughters. No grandsons, just granddaughters. I'm getting used to pink. I raised three boys, you know, and one girl, but uh, it's a whole different world. My granddaughters love reading stories. And after a couple of times, of course, like most kids, they've got it memorized. You better say it right the second time, right? Or they'll catch you. <laughs> better not change the words. But more than that, what strikes me is that they not only love to read the stories, but they love to enter the story. They love to act it out to live it out, to make it part of their own lives. They, they don't want to just read about it. They want to become the princess or the fairy or the puppy or whatever. Then they pull me in to be part of it. Sometimes I get to be the prince or the king. Sometimes I'm the husband. Sometimes I'm the little brother. Sometimes I'm the baby. <laughs> This week, I got to be the troll that stole Christmas. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love their imagination. 
I love how they want to not only hear the story, but to live it out. See, I think that's an amazing gift from God. I would call it our sacred imagination that they can actually want to become part of it. I believe that's how God made us, to want to be part of the story, his story, to want to be part of something that's bigger than us, bigger than just this life. Deep down, we know we were created for more, and God gave us this sacred imagination so we could enter into this unseen spiritual world. Because deep down, we know there's more than just going to work, paying bills, watching TV, etc. As adults, we, we stifle that sacred imagination, but it's still part of us and something God's called us to awaken, I believe. My granddaughters love to pretend, but today as we celebrate the resurrection, we'll look at how the fact the true fact that Jesus rose from the dead allows his disciples to begin to understand the bigger story of God and not just understand it, but begin to live it out, to act it out, to become part of that bigger story. And this story, his story, the resurrection story, is not make-believe. It's true. It's true truth. It's the biggest truth biggest reality that's ever happened. And then we will ask, well, so what? If that's true of the disciples, what about us? How does this impact us? He's risen. But what does that mean for us? Pray with me. Lord, as we together tell the story once again, as we talk through this passage that Luke related to us, may our eyes be opened. May our sacred imaginations be turned on by the power of your Spirit so that we can see how the story applies not just to the disciples, not just to history, but to us, to each one of us sitting here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we pick up this story in Luke at the end of chapter 24, just to remind ourselves of the context, Jesus was crucified on the cross. The disciples all fled for their lives. They were terrified because Jesus had been scourged in a horrible, torturous punishment by the Romans. And then crucified on a cross, they saw him die. They saw him buried. And so for these disciples, they are now terrified. They're hiding out in a room together afraid that since the Romans took their leader and killed him, they must be next. They're simply waiting for that knock on the door where they'll be arrested and taken off to their own death. But then we find at the beginning of chapter 24 that the women have gone on the third day to anoint the body, but they're wondering how will the stone be rolled away? And they show up and the stone has been moved. And inside are a couple of angels, and the angels say to them, He is not here. He has risen. Well, they go tell the disciples hiding in that room, and they say, This is what the angel said. But it's made very clear that the disciples don't believe it. Their sacred imagination has not been awakened. <laughs> 
Then we're told the story by Luke of the two men on the road to Emmaus as they're leaving Jerusalem and, and, and someone joins them. And this other person tells them through the scriptures about the Christ. And of course, this had to happen to Jesus. He had to die because it was part of God's plan all along. And then as they sat down for a meal, their eyes were opened and they saw that it really was Jesus who had walked with them. And they hurry back to Jerusalem and they go back to that room where the disciples are gathered and they say, this is what happened. We saw Jesus. And yes, what the disciples do. They don't believe. (laughs) You see, it was hard for them to understand. This didn't make sense. It didn't fit into their picture of the world. It, It was not in their sphere of reality. This whole idea of a risen Christ, even though Jesus had tried to prepare them, they still did not believe. They needed that sacred imagination awakened. You know another word for that? Faith. Faith. So what does the resurrection do for them? Well, I want to highlight five things that the resurrection does for the disciples. First, it established their faith. It established their faith, their sacred imagination. It opened their eyes to the reality of it. I love this passage as Jesus shows up as they're in this upper room. The door's locked. They're afraid. And he's just there. (laughs) And he says, peace be to you. But it says they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They think he's a ghost because in their minds, in their whole sense of what reality is like, they they think, well, we've heard of ghosts, but we've never seen anything like this. So maybe he's a ghost, this resurrected being. This is different than anything we've ever seen. And then he gently and carefully says, hey, no, this is real. Look at me. Touch me. They watched him eat a piece of fish as he shows that what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're touching as their senses engage is something completely different than has ever entered reality. This is a resurrection body. This is something that is at home, completely at home in heaven and yet completely at home on earth as well. So as he slowly and carefully engages their senses, he affirms for them that, the, that he is real, that he is really risen. He meets them in their unbelief like he does with each of us. And then in 44 through 46, he says, and by the way, this was God's plan all along. He shows them through the scriptures, through each part of the scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, the writings. And he points out how it's all about him and all of it pointed to this incredible event in which he died on the cross for our sins and then rose again. I wish I'd been there. Amazing to hear Jesus teach through the scriptures about himself. So their faith was established in reality, in history, as they touched him, as they felt him, as they heard him, as they were reminded about the scriptures. They began to see the good news. Their sacred imagination is beginning to be opened as they see that Jesus really is alive. So the resurrection established their faith, but it also confirmed their forgiveness. Verse 47, Jesus says, 
This is what was written, that Jesus, that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Since Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that the cross wasn't just a terrible ending. It wasn't just, ah, too bad. (laughs) He died. When I first came to Christ, I was 17 years old, and I went back to the church that we'd gone to a little bit when I was young, a mainline denominational church, and, and they had a little Bible study, so I went, and the pastor was teaching it. And after two or three weeks, I thought, something is weird here. I just don't get it. I don't know very much, but something's strange here. So I went to the pastor, and I said, so what do you really believe about Jesus? He said, oh, well, you know, he was an amazing man. He, he was a wonderful example to us. He showed us how to live a good moral life. But then, you know, unfortunately, he got on the wrong side of the Roman authorities and they killed him. But, you know, we can still learn a lot from his life. And I thought, and again, I didn't know much, but I thought, no, this is not where I belong. (laughs) Because I asked him, I said, well, what about what about the resurrection? What about his death for our sin? And he said, oh, that's just mythology. But what we see here is that if you don't believe in the resurrection, then your sins are not forgiven. But because of the resurrection, it confirmed for the disciples their forgiveness, their repentance and forgiveness of sins that is now being proclaimed. It's the truth. We, every human being, the greatest need for humans in our world today is forgiveness, reconciliation with God. Without the resurrection, it doesn't come. It can't happen. But here's the disciples who had rejected Jesus, who had all denied him and walked away in their own fear. But the resurrection confirmed for them as Jesus spoke, no, you are forgiven. There is forgiveness and new life offered to you. You can be restored in relationship with a holy God. Your sin has been dealt with. Third, the resurrection confirmed for the disciples that they had a new purpose for living, a new life. Jesus says it's written that there should be repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. These terrified, weak, helpless disciples, Jesus says, I've got a new purpose for you. You are to be my witnesses throughout the entire world. Now that you've seen the risen Christ You're not just fishermen. You're not just tax gatherers. You're not ordinary people anymore. (laughs) You are extraordinary people given a purpose to share the good news. Now that you've been confronted with the risen Christ, you have a new purpose for life. Understanding that people are longing for that new purpose. I've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes recently and the preacher over and over again, who was the richest man in the world at the time, probably Solomon. He had wealth and he said, I tried everything that the world had to offer. I tried pleasure. I tried sex. I tried wealth. I tried everything the world had to offer. And he, his conclusion, all is vanity. There's only one place that life comes from, and it's finding a purpose in God, being, being called by him to be part of this new kingdom, this great story that he's writing. And the disciples were given that opportunity, that new purpose for living to proclaim 
repentance and forgiveness of sins, which is available, it says, to all the nations now, to the whole world. Fourth, what the resurrection accomplished for the disciples is it gave them the power of the Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just say, okay, now go into all the world and just tell people, but without empowering them. No, he says, You are witnesses, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the resurrection, Jesus said just before he died in John, in the upper room, he said, It is good for you that I go away. Why? Because I will send the Holy Spirit to you, who will empower you to live life. It would not have happened without the resurrection. And then in, as Luke continues his story, here we're seeing the end of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts is Luke's continuation of the story. And there we see in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit is poured out and they spoke in other tongues. And the rest of the book of Acts is how the disciples, along with Paul, are living in that power of the Spirit and living out this new purpose that God has given them. Amazing. And it all came about because Jesus was risen from the dead. And then finally, what did did the resurrection do for the disciples? It restored their fallen humanity. At the end of the book, it says this, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. See, from Adam and Eve, when they first ate of the forbidden fruit, man has been separated from God. We were created from the very beginning to worship God, to find our joy and our life in him. But... That relationship was broken, and we're told in Romans 1 that every human being, what we've done is suppress the knowledge of God within us. We all know He's real. We all know He's there, but we've suppressed it, and we've worshipped other things. We've worshipped the creation. We've worshipped other people. We've worshipped ourselves. We've made idols of all these things, and the result is a brokenness and a perversion of what we are created to be. And the whole world is living a broken life because of that. But what do we see in the disciples? They're restored to proper worship of God. And what's the result in their lives? Joy. Incredible joy. We were all created for that. We're created to be restored to worship. And when we gather like this, and we sing the praises of the, uh, of the Lord. We are living out our true humanity, what we were created for all along. And what we will be doing in heaven. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 describe how the four living creatures and the 24 elders and all the angels and then all the saints come together and worship Him and worship Him and worship Him. That is our restored humanity that's given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the disciples, their lives are transformed. They have a new life they're living, a new purpose, all of this. But the question is, what about us? Right? I mean, we weren't there. We didn't get to touch the risen Christ. We didn't get to hear his voice. So what does it mean for us? Well, actually, according to the scriptures, a lot of the same things. Let me just run through them. 
First of all, the resurrection confirms our faith. You see, as we, as we hear the story and as we combine our sacred imagination and say, that story is not just about the disciples, it is about me. And we begin to enter into the story and begin to live it out, just like my granddaughters, right? Living out the story. Only ours isn't pretend, it's the real thing. And we say, that's true of me, and I am going to begin living this out in my daily life. It confirms our faith. The word for confirm comes from the Latin to make strong. It confirms the historical basis of our faith. We believe, not because we touch the risen Christ, but because we believe on the testimony of those who did. And Paul says, right, he says, hey, Jesus appeared to many in his, in his risen form. And he says he actually appeared to 500 at once who confirmed it. And by the way, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, most of those people are still alive. Well, I can give you their telephone numbers if you want to call them. Our faith is based on historical facts. The resurrection confirms our faith. Our faith is authentic. It's real. I confess that once in a while I like to watch Antique Roadshow <laughs> because I'm fascinated by these objects that are just kind of junk that have been stored away in an attic and some of them really are junk. <laughs> but some of them are worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. What the resurrection does is it evaluates our faith and it says this is authentic. What we believe is true because it's based on historical reality. And it also confirms our faith because it confirms our hope. You see, as Jesus stood there in his resurrection body, this amazing body that I don't get it, but it's a body, again, that was completely at home in heaven and completely at home on earth. It confirms our hope that we too will have the same kind of body. That in the new heavens and the new earth, as we are in Jesus' presence, we'll have the same kind of body that is completely at home in heaven, completely at home in this new earth that God will create when he, Jesus comes again. As you heard this morning, Mary Christofferson passed away, a dear friend to many of us in this body on Thursday. But we have this sure and certain hope that she now is in her resurrection body. <laughs> she is present with Jesus. How do we know? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection confirms our faith. Secondly, it offers us a clean slate. If Jesus had just died and that was the end of it, like my former pastor thought, then how would I know my sins were ever forgiven? We'd all be lost in sin. But because Jesus rose from the dead, it's proof that he conquered sin. He conquered death forever. He carried our sins to the cross and then his resurrection power triumphs over it forever and ever. You see, all of us come to God with junk, with sin, with selfishness. We're kind of a mess. We need to be set free. But the resurrection is proof that Jesus did take our punishment and we can come to him and he will forgive us and as we repent and come to him, he will change us. Are you feeling unworthy to come to God? Good. <laughs> Good. That's where we all stand. 
at the cross. We're all unworthy. But He is worthy and He carried our sins on the cross. And therefore, this incredible good news. Let me just read a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul writes, For our sake, He, our Heavenly Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an amazing miracle. It offers us a clean slate. Third, the resurrection gives us a new purpose in life. Like the disciples, we long to have some sense of meaning beyond just everyday mundane life. And so the resurrection calls each one of us to be his witnesses, to tell the story, to read the story, to let the world know the good news. But not only to tell the story, but to act it out, (laughs) like my granddaughters, to live it out. If this is true, then it changes my life. And as we tell the story and read the book to others, it helps them enter it as well. So we are witnesses of what God has done and what he continues to do. None of us are ordinary folks. We are all princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, live it out. You can live it out. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's fourth, what the resurrection accomplishes. It gives us this new power, this Holy Spirit. As the disciples received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, so we do when we put our faith in Christ. We receive that power to live out the gospel, to live in this new kingdom, to be those princes and princesses to speak truth, to love others, to walk in the Spirit. Up to that point, we're like a a car with no engine, and we're all kind of walking around trying to push these cars around. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you have a new engine. Now, we still need to learn to walk in the Spirit, right? We need to learn to start the engine and learn to drive and learn to depend on His strength and power, but we have the Holy Spirit in us. Everyone who believes. And then finally, the resurrection restores us to our true humanity, just as the disciples were restored. As the disciples came and they worshipped the risen Christ, and they were filled with joy, and they went to the temple and blessed God, thanking Him, praising Him. So as we learn to do that together and alone on our own, to worship Him, to praise Him, Our lives are filled with joy and we're restored to our true humanity that God designed us to live in from the very beginning. So the challenge for us this morning is, as we hear this amazing story, the the reality of the resurrection, do we say, wow, that's a great story? (laughs) And we close the book and we go have lunch and get on with our lives. Or do we realize that the resurrection changes everything. And the story really is about us. It's about me. And when Jesus rose, he rose for me. When he died on the cross, he died for me. And therefore, I want to begin to enter the story and live out this incredible story of God. Jesus is risen. So what? So what? (laughs) Resurrection changes everything. It confirms the truth of the Christian faith. It offers us a clean slate of forgiveness every day. 
It gives us a new purpose in life. It empowers us to carry out that purpose. And it allows us to live in the incredible joy of this new humanity, of learning to worship God, which we will continue to do right into eternity. That's God's bigger story. Are you part of it? There's some here who have never really entered in. Oh, you've heard the story and you think that's a really great story. But you've never said that story is about me. I encourage you to say, no, it really is about me. Jesus died for me. He rose again and set me free. And I want his life in me. I want to live for God's bigger story and stop living for my own. This is not make-believe, this story. This is reality. This is the greatest news in history. So my question for you is, what part are you playing? Are you a spectator who reads the book and goes on with your life? Or are you a participant who reads the book and says, yes, that's about me, and I am going to begin living that out. I am going to be a witness of God's new life. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's say that together. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. That is God's bigger story. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible good news that when you rose from the dead, all of life became different. The new story began that we get to be part of if simply by faith we will open up our sacred imagination and say, yes, Lord, I am part of the story. I am one of your children and I want to live for you. May each of us here in this room live in the reality of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.